A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful And may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad And the purified members of His household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum Respected sisters, dear brothers Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and uh, thank you for joining us once again in our life series. We were discussing the attributes and characteristics of the carrier of knowledge, the scholar, the teacher, and we were emphasizing the characteristics of God-fearing and piety and staying away from love of this world and prioritizing the afterlife <clears throat> as some of the characteristics that we were looking at a little bit more closely. But we said that there's another dimension that we're adding to this, which is that there's a social duty or a social responsibility that is in addition to being someone who understands that when you carry knowledge you are to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are to work and to strive so that that knowledge brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you have more piety makes you have more God-fearing more worship more action all of this is that there is an individual dimension to this so that you feel that there is a, a duty or a responsibility that you now have because of this knowledge and in addition to that, there is a social dimension, a social responsibility that we started to see in some of the ahadith where clearly beyond the fact that you are responsible towards yourself for this and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you accountable for this, you are also accountable for the impact that you have in the community, in the society, in the uh, you know nation, the, the world in which you live because of the knowledge you carry and because of your ability and your power and your position in that world on one side um, and how people view you and perceive you as being someone who now carries knowledge, someone who is representing more or less religion to each according to their own uh, ability. We looked at a number of verses of the Holy Quran. We're not going to repeat that. Uh, that fall directly into this. Um, we we saw how, for instance, and I think all of this is uh, a lot of this is a little bit of a recap. For instance, how the scholar was being there was an analogy between the role of the scholar and the role of the ruler. For instance, in some hadith saying that if they are good, both of these categories of people, if they are good, people will be good. If they are bad or my nation, the Holy Prophet says, will be bad, will turn out bad. And so here in one way, the Holy Prophet is saying the person who carries knowledge is like the person who is a ruler in that dimension. Today we're going to see another dimension to it. And so these are, are accumulating over each other that when we put them all together, you're going to see that the moment someone is in a position of power, then there comes a an additional social responsibility, a social duty because of that additional power that you have, that you actually carry because of your abilities, because of the, the true nature of that power, and because of how people view it, and the influence that people know that you have on them. But not necessarily, because you also have an influence that they may not be aware of. 
So on both sides, there's a an additional layer of responsibility, additional layer of duty. And we also saw that in addition to the ahadith, the verses of the Holy Quran also confirm this, right? We saw how, for instance, verses of the Quran were talking about how in the afterlife there will be this debate or this um, back and forth dialogue between the those who are weak and those who are rulers, right? The tyrants or the rulers or the people that uh, they were following in this world, right? So, we saw a couple of verses uh, in that regard. We saw the ahadith that say that, for instance, there will not be any forgiveness granted to the scholar or the person who knows, the person who carries true knowledge when they reach the moment of death. It will be too late for them because they know and they perform the sins willingly. And this got us to discuss the whole uh, theme or, or topic of uh, the verses of the Quran that clearly state that there are some conditions that have to be met for repentance to take place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was saying, uh, the repentance or forgiveness upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for those who, so it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who promises, I will forgive those who meet two conditions. They perform the sin not knowing, unknowingly, one, and two, and then they regret and repent quickly, right away. يَتُوبُونَ عَنْ قَرِيبٍ مِنْ قَرِيبٍ Right? So, أُولَٰئِكَ يَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ And then the next verse was saying, وَلَيْسَتِ التَّوْبَةُ and then the, the repentance is not going to be granted to those who knowingly, stubbornly perform the sin, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, uh, you know, says that this is a sin and you know that this is a sin and you still proceed to perform that sin. Um, Brother Ali, I think there might be someone at the door and I don't know if it's open or closed. I'm just, uh, maybe, uh, in any case. And then we spoke about how, for instance, there were some ahadith, especially that longer hadith from Imam al-Sadiq in which he summarized a lot of the things, a lot of the uh, points that we have been talking about, amongst which, for instance, was the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive to the person who uh, does not know and performs the sin, he will give, forgive 70 sins before he forgives the sin of the scholar. Right, so that was one indication again to show us the social duty and social responsibility of the scholar and how much more of a duty and responsibility there is when you carry it. And we also saw how, uh, in that uh, advice that he was giving to Hafs ibn Riyath, um, he was talking in general about the relationship that you should have now that you start to become a scholar, the type of relationship you should have with the world. How attached should you be to the world? And you'll remember the image of the carcass that the imam was presenting. And he was saying your, your, your relationship to it should be like the relationship you have when you absolutely need to eat something or you die. And the only thing there is a carcass, you know, a, a putrid, uh, uh, you know, dead animal, body of an animal that should be disgusting, but still you are forced to eat from it. And so this should be a relationship to this world. You understand that's a necessity. You have to go through it. You have to take what you need from it, but not in a way that makes you love it and be obsessed with it and want even more of it. You take what you need of it and you uh, move on. And so at the end of that hadith, there was also that famous equation where 
the imam looked at it from both sides on one side he was saying the fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the result of knowledge of god the more knowledge you have it should lead to fear of god and the more fear of god you have therefore you should know that the more knowledge of god you have he looked at it from both sides and then he derived out of it he said the more knowledge of god also means the least attachment to this world Right, so that was an equation that Imam Sadiq gave us, and we ended with that. So, inshallah, today we continue where we left off. So, the next hadith from Imam Sadiq he says, إِذَا رَأَيْتُمُ الْعَالِمُ مُحِبًّا لِدُنْيَاهُ فَاتَّهِمُوهُ عَلَى دِينِكُمْ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحِبٍ لِشَيْءٍ يَحُوطُ مَا أَحَبٍ Imam Sadiq says, if you find the scholar in love with his life, in love with the life of this world, if you find the scholar in love, do not expect any good from him for your religion. You know, like literally we would say accuse him, but it's not accuse him. It's be, do not expect that great or that good to come out of him when it comes to your religion, when it comes to your faith. Do not expect good things to come out of him if he is a lover of this world. And then the imam continues, for every lover surrounds that which they love. Or, that's the literal meaning, or the, the real translation would be, is, is, is obsessed with. Right? That's what consumes them. They are consumed by this world. That's what you should expect from them. Don't expect great things to be therefore communicated about your religion. Okay? And here, we can say, but Why? What is this relationship between love of this world and not expecting great things from this scholar because they love this world even though they have knowledge and they have uh, things that they might, we might consider to be useful? The next hadith. قَالَ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ أَوْحَ اللَّهُ إِلَى دَاوُودِ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Prophet Dawood alayhi salam أَوْحَ اللَّهُ إِلَىٰ دَاوُودِ لَا تَجْعَلْ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكَ عَالِمًا مَفْتُونًا بِالدُّنْيَا Do not, do not place between, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, do not place between me and you a scholar who has been seduced by this world. That becomes your intermediary. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one speaking here. Don't make the intermediary between me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, between me and you, a scholar who has already been seduced, obsessed with this world, who has fallen for this world. Why? So this person is going to, this scholar who is obsessed with this world, that you are taking as your intermediary, as your source of knowledge, for he shall prevent you from the path of my love. There is a path that goes to the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this person, this scholar, who is in love with this world, even though they carry knowledge, but they are so in love with this world, this person is going to prevent you from staying on the path that leads to my love, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And what else? Those are the interceptors of my servants who desire me. Ula'ika qutta'u tariq al-muridin. This is the pirate Today we could call them pirates. People who are waiting for you to pass by so that they intercept your way and they steal from you. Okay? 
This is how they live, these people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those are the people who you have something very valuable you're carrying, which is muridin. You want God. You desire God. You have love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who's going to steal that from you? The scholar who is in love with this world. This is the effect that this person is going to have. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, be careful. Don't use, don't make that person the person who is the intermediary between you and I. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention the punishment for this person. So he says, The smallest punishment that I have reserved for them, the least that I will do to them, to these people who intercept the servants who have this love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I remove the sweetness of my invocation, of my supplication from their hearts. These are very deep and very important words in this hadith. So a few things about this hadith. The first one, here again, and we talked enough about this, so just a reminder, clearly this hadith and the one before it are explaining that the effect of a scholar on us, a teacher on us, goes beyond just the knowledge, just the theory and the data and the information that you get from them. They will impact you in a different way. It goes deeper than that. And so how they are, their worldview, their values, their principles, how they approach the world, the obsession of this world, the love attachment for this world is going to have an effect. And this is why we said, if it is possible, if the information is only contained in one person and you need that information, go get it. But so long as you have alternatives, you have options, you're always going to, you should, prioritize the one who has the right values and the right principles and the right outlook towards this world, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on and so forth. That's the first point. Because the this is yet one more hadith that shows that the impact, the influence that the scholar, the teacher, the person you listen to, the person you open your heart and your mind to, to let them influence you is going to go way beyond just the information that you're getting from them. This is going to impact you a lot more deeply. That's one. The second point, therefore, this becomes, this becomes a warning for us that now that I carry knowledge, now that I am a seeker of knowledge and I'm starting to carry knowledge, I cannot be someone who is so obsessed with this world. Whether you realize it or not, someone somewhere might be looking up to you. You are going to be a teacher. You are going to be a scholar. You do know more than someone else. You are going to have that role and that ability to influence others. And so what are you presenting to them? How do they perceive you? How do they consider your attachment to the world? And for yourself, because the end of it has nothing to do with others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing this person himself by removing this beautiful experience of supplicating Allah, the sweetness of my supplication, the sweetness of my invocation is going to be removed. You're going to lose that. If you are attached to this world and you carry the knowledge, this is what will be the result. Okay? The third the third needs to become, so when I look at myself, this has to become a clue for myself. People who are interested in spirituality, this is a question that we always hear. There's constant topics about it, discussions about it. 
People say, how come I don't feel anything? Some people say, why am I not able to cry? I want to be able to cry. When I remember Ahlul Bayt, when I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, some people say, why don't I feel anything when I'm praying, when I'm reciting the Quran, when I am fasting? It's like the spirituality doesn't come. There's dryness. I don't feel anything. Whereas someone else, even though it may not look like it's pleasurable to cry, to weep, to feel those things because it looks like you're in a state of distress. If you were to speak to a true worshiper, even though they may look like distressed, they may look like they're weeping and crying and we associate that with displeasure. If you were to ask them, they will tell you these are the most beautiful moments of my life. That relationship, that moment, which if it goes deep enough, this is what is called in the literature, the religious experience. You experience something you can't experience in any other way. Because you start attaching, your heart, your soul starts attaching with something that you call, in philosophy they call it, transcendental. Something that is beyond your imminent world. Beyond what you see and feel and hear and experience on a daily basis. This goes way beyond. You're attaching yourself to the infinite. And so this creates a feeling that you can't get in any other way. This person, they may look like they're not enjoying what's happening and what they're experiencing. In truth, if you were to ask them, they will tell you, this is the most blissful, heavenly moment of my life. The more you feel it, maybe some of you haven't. Maybe you have felt it here and there, little glimpses. How do you create that? How do you foster it? How do you make it grow? How can you try to feel that every time you pray, every time you fast? Every time you open the Qur'an, you get that feeling. What do we need to do? There's a clue here in this hadith about that whole topic. The imam just said something. Inshallah, we don't fall in this category. But the imam gave us a key, a very important clue. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look at the word that he used. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the least, the smallest punishment I reserve to the scholar who is the interceptor between these servants of mine who desire me and me, and he stands in the way, and he removes that desire from them. Why? Because of his love for the world. What's the least punishment? I remove the sweetness, the taste, the sweetness of my invocation. When you invoke God, when you pray to God, when you supplicate, al-munajat is what? Literally, it means when you whisper to someone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know when, you, when they whisper to me, when someone whispers to God, you have something intimate you're telling God, that moment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it should come with a sweetness. We should all feel a sweetness, that's a metaphorical language, a pleasurable experience, something that you truly Enjoy a blissful, heavenly moment, experience, because you are in that intimate moment whispering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, truly talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, my punishment to them is, the only thing I'm doing here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is I remove the sweetness of this invocation. You can still invoke, these people still invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
But do you feel sweetness? Do you feel that it's something that you consider to be blissful and heavenly and beautiful? And what was their mistake? Why was this removed? So you feel dry. You feel like the experience is not blissful and heavenly and sweet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says because they loved this world. The more you sink into the love of this world, the more this happens. So you don't feel anything. You don't experience this intimacy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And so this is the case of the scholar because the scholar knows. And what else can be? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the least. This is the beginning of my punishment to them. There could be a lot more, but this is the beginning. But the truth is, this is a calamity. You spend your life worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you feel nothing. You read the Holy Quran, you perform prayer, you perform fasting, you feel nothing, you feel no connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a calamity. Okay, so that, that is a disaster in itself. So I would say, you know, what, what an incredible threat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. The least I will do to them is that I will remove the sweetness of supplicating, invoking me intimately. Okay? Next hadith. So again, around the theme of love of this world and those things that we're supposed to avoid. And so we said the avoidance here in certain cases is about what you avoid for yourself and secondly, what you avoid for others because now you understand that there is a duty. There's a social dimension to this. So here, the Holy Prophet ﷺ says, سَيَأْتِي زَمَانٌ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي لَا يَعْرِفُونَ الْعُلَمَاءِ So it's not that they don't know the scholars. There will come a time upon my nation. The Holy Prophet is not saying where they will not know the scholars. He says, they will only know the scholars. لَا يَعْرِفُونَ الْعُلَمَاءِ إِلَّا بِثَوْبٍ حَسَنٍ They will only recognize the scholars through their beautiful clothes. What else? وَلَا يَعْرِفُونَ الْقُرْآنِ إِلَّا بِصَوْتٍ حَسَنٍ And they will not recognize the Qur'an except through a beautiful voice. وَلَا يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهَ إِلَّا فِي شَهْرِ رَمَضَانِ And they will only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the month of Ramadan. فَإِذَا كَانَ كَذَلِكَ So when that will happen, when that time will come, سَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ سُلْطَانًا لَا عِلْمَ لَهُ وَلَا حِلْمَ لَهُ وَلَا رَحْمَ لَهُ When that will happen, when that time will come, God will impose on them, upon my nation, a ruler or rulers with no knowledge, with no wisdom, or with no patience, and with no recognition of blood ties, or with no recognition of mercy, without mercy, depending on how you interpret rahm. Is it rahmah or rahm? So here when the Holy Prophet says, they will not recognize the scholar except through their elegant clothes, their nice clothes. Here the, there's two interpretations that can come to mind. On the one side, 
you can blame the scholars themselves. You say that this is how all the scholars are dressed. In fact, it's not about the dress. It's about how they behave. It's that they love this world. Right? And so if this is the only behavior that the scholars put forward, this is the only way people recognize the scholars. That's one way to understand it. Because there's a relationship here between the community, or the Holy Prophet says, my nation, between the nation and the scholar. There's a scholar who has to play a role and the nation that has to play a role. So one way is to blame the scholars and to say this is how scholars are now behaving. Which could be true. But it seems though that the Holy Prophet is more focused here in this hadith on the nation. It's not that there are no scholars who are not obsessed with this. It's that the people have lost the ability or are not interested in scholars unless they are dressed this way. Unless they love this world. That's what it means. It's not about the clothes. And the same thing can be said about the other points. So that's first. So we need to always keep in mind, but who's the true scholar and what's our real criteria to identify this is a scholar? Is it by how they dress and how they live? Or is there something more? And we keep seeing the same characteristics come back again and again. The main criteria is not how many megs of data you have or how you dress or how you present. These are secondary factors. The main factor is relationship to God, understanding of your role, your social duty as a scholar, and so on and so forth. That's one. The second clear theme in this hadith, in general, when we take everything the Holy Prophet said, clearly the Holy Prophet is talking about his nation as having fallen into superficiality. Basically, it's not that people are not religious. He didn't say no one is religious. There are scholars, and there are people who worship, and there is a month of Ramadan, and there is a recitation of the Holy Quran, and so on and so forth. All of that is here. Except that what matters from all of these things, and clearly the Holy Prophet, on one side he's giving clear examples, important examples, but these are examples. We can only guess about everything else. So the Holy Prophet is talking about his nation as having become entirely superficial. We understand religion as the external appearance of things. The Holy Quran, I don't focus on the meaning of the Quran, how it impacts my life, how I live by the teachings of the Quran. I focus on, can I say the words? And can I say the words in a nice tone, in a nice melody, in a nice voice? That's all that matters. It doesn't go deep. It doesn't impact the heart. The scholar, how they look. They look like a scholar. Good enough. That's the scholar we want. Worship, yeah, we worship. We have one month in the year where there is worship and fasting and praying. So there is worship. It's enough. In appearance, it's there. The third point related to this is that we also can't fall in the mistake of only looking at one side and then saying the Holy Prophet is denigrating or putting down these things. The Holy Prophet is not saying that you can't wear nice clothes. The Holy Prophet is not saying don't recite the Quran in a nice voice. The Holy Prophet is not saying don't perform serious and hard striving worship in the month of Ramadan. But he's saying don't reduce all of religion to those things. Religion is a lot more than those things. 
right? And so this has to become second nature for us. Otherwise, our religion says, of course, you need to dress appropriately, dress nicely, appropriately. That's the key. In our religion, everything is appropriate. Everything is balanced. Don't dress in a way that is condescending to you, denigrating to you, disrespectful to you, your position, your rank. No issue with that. Dress nicely. Live luxuriously. But that's not the criteria. That's not what matters. This is secondary. Right? So that's a second point. The third point, or fourth point, I don't know where we're at. There was also an indication at the end of the hadith the Holy Prophet is talking about something that a lot of thinkers and scholars, whether religious or secular, Muslim or not, Western world or not, have looked at this question. What happened to this great civilization that used to have a golden age and that pushed humanity forward in its thinking and its sciences and its knowledge? What happened to it? The Holy Prophet is giving, we can call it a social rule, a social law. He says, if people start falling in this superficiality, and you only understand from religion these superficial rituals and aspects of it, the Holy Quran is nothing more than a nice voice. That's it. That's the Quran. Worship in the year. It's not worship every day, every night. Worship is not alive and well. You remember worship in the month of Ramadan. If what, this is what it looks like in my nation in general, then there is a social rule, a social law, a social principle, the Holy Prophet says, which is then expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to impose on this nation rulers without knowledge, without wisdom, without mercy. So you can look around. Would this not be a very clear application Go back in history. You don't need to be theoretical about this. You can actually look at case studies. In sociology, you have very clear case studies. In history, you have very clear case studies. How would you rate the rulers the Holy Prophet is talking about? There are rulers who will be imposed on them. How would you rate them? Do they match? Do they meet this criteria? Are they without knowledge and without wisdom and without mercy or not? Did, does the Holy Prophet not say exactly what caused it? What is leading to that? There are others. Here the Holy Prophet is not explaining comprehensively. He's giving you some of the clues. Very clear. And this is the, the trends, some of scholars have called them. The trends of history in the Quran. The trends of society in the Quran. Some of our scholars have talked a lot about this. The, the laws are well known. The principles are well known. This is not random. It's not random that this happens to a civilization. There's laws in place. And the Imams and Ahl al-Bayt, the Holy Prophet, the Holy Quran, they've explained all these laws. You follow a certain path, this is a conclusion. You go this way, this is the outcome. Socially, materially. And then of course, the last point related to this, and inshallah you see the, the pattern for every hadith, for everything we look at. What does this mean for me? I have to be careful so that I don't fall into this trap. If I take one example from this, we're in the month of Rajab right now. In less than perhaps six weeks, seven weeks, we'll be in the month of Ramadan. Is that when I'm going to remember worship? 
and remember maybe praying a little bit more, reciting the Quran a little bit more, fasting, remembering the poor. Is my religion and my worship reduced and limited to this? This is my season of worship. And that's it, I'm done. You close the Quran and you tell the Quran, see you next year, see you next Ramadan, inshallah. The Holy Prophet is talking about in general my nation, but this is us. This is it's no not other people. We are his nation. I have to start by myself. Yes, of course, there's a collective dimension, there's a social dimension as a nation. But the nation is made up of you and I. We make up this nation. Where are we when we look at each one of these criteria? We apply them to ourselves. If it applies, we have work to do. Next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Continuing with the same trend. وَقُودُ النَّارِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ كُلُّ بَخِيلٍ بِمَالِهِ عَلَى الْفُقَرَاءِ وَكُلُّ عَالِمٍ بَعَدِّينَ بِالدُّنْيَا So Imam Ali alayhi salam says, The fuel, وَالْعَيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ The fuel of hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in the Holy Quran. There is hell, and hell has layers, and there are people and there are things used to fuel hell. So that's the worst of the punishment is there. That's what what is used to make hell, hell. To make hell intolerable, torturous, a punishment. Here in this hadith, Imam Ali salam says, The fuel of hell on the day of resurrection, Every greedy man, every greedy person who would not give from their wealth to those who are poor. That's one. That's one fuel of hell. And the second one, وَكُلُّ عَالِمٍ بَعَدِّينَ بِالدُّنْيَا And every scholar who has sold faith, religion, belief, they've sold it in exchange for this world. The price they got for religion is this world. You gave up faith, you gave up religion, you're a scholar, in exchange for a rank, a position, a title, wealth, whatever it may be. You gave up religion in exchange for wealth. Those two positions. Those two categories of people, Imam Ali is saying they are the fuel of hellfire. In both cases, the issue is the same. In both cases, it's instrumental. And we talked about this. Are you learning knowledge and religion for its own sake? Because you believe that there is going to be a saving, a salvation of your soul through it? Sincerely, for yourself, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be better? Or is it an instrument for this world? Just like everything else may become an instrument for this world. That's one. And this is, as we said, this is a this big risk. Again, you see it come again, again, and again, and again. And as we said, it will be balanced by the merits and the ranks of the scholar, the person who carries the knowledge. Inshallah, that will come. We'll end with that. We'll end on a positive note. As we did with the learner. And we'll get there, inshallah. Okay? But again, in this hadith, like the previous one, like the one we saw 
last time we met. The last time we met, we had a hadith that talked about if two categories of people are good, then my nation will be good. They were then those who carry knowledge, the scholars and the rulers. And we explained perhaps why those were put together. In this hadith, the, two, the analogy is now between those who carry knowledge and those who carry wealth. So now, this is opening a whole door. You start putting these types of ahadith together. And then you start seeing that ah, the moment in our religion, this becomes a principle. The moment you start carrying power, influence in society, then right away our religion is going to balance that. You have power, it comes with a duty. You perform that duty, what we gave you, the favor we gave you, is going to make you unmatchable because you used it in the right way. So the person who spends in the way of God or as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to spend. Incredible ranks, incredible rewards. And by opposition, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you wealth and you don't give any of it to the poor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you knowledge and you use it only for this world. This is where you see that balance is broken. And this applies to anything. This has to become a principle. We just have two great examples of this. Because in the first one, the scholars were put together in the same category as the rulers. Here they were put together in the same category as those who are wealthy. In today's world, we would say these are sources of power. Different social power. Where does power come from? We said when we went to the beginning of the series through the different types of societies. It used to be that you have material wealth, possessions, land, earth, capital. And then slowly it became, the power became knowledge, information. It's the same. It's the ruling class, those who are wealthy, those who have knowledge. You find them in the hadith, very clear. You can create a whole social system around it, a social grid of analysis with this. These are the sources of power. And so whatever else we can come up with as a source of power, it means that in our religion we have to go back and say, now you have power, it needs to be balanced. Otherwise you're going to fall in these categories where you have power and you're abusing of it. You're not using it as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended. This is going to apply individually. This is going to apply in the family. This is going to apply in the community. This is going to apply in society. Okay, There's a lot more we can say here, but I think the, the point is enough to keep in mind and build on later. And of course, here again, one last point very quickly. So when you see that if the punishment is so great, that these people are becoming the, the fuel of hellfire, it means that the responsibility is that great. It's only because you missed on a great responsibility, on a great duty imposed upon you, that this was the punishment that came out of it. Okay, next hadith. From Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam. Ya Hisham, Man ahabba dunya dhahaba khawfu al-akhirati min qalbih. وَمَا أُوْتِيَ عَبْدٌ عِلْمًا فَازْدَادَ لِلدُّنْيَا حُبَّا إِلَّا ازْدَادَ مِنَ اللَّهِ بُعْدًا وَازْدَادَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ غَضَبًا 
So Imam Al-Kadhim tells Hisham, and I've mentioned this a few times, there's a very long hadith that is made up of dozens upon dozens of pieces of advice from Imam Al-Kadhim to this great companion of his. Inshallah, one day we can either take parts of it. We've been going through some parts here and there where it's relevant, but maybe one day we can go through through all of it in, in one shot. In any case, O Hisham, if someone loves this world, the fear of the afterlife will leave their heart. The more you love this world, the less you will remember the afterlife. In a very direct reference to the, had- the hadith that perhaps we saw a little bit earlier, the other one was a little bit more, let's call it spiritual. The sweetness of invoking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves your soul. Here, it's more theological. You forget one of the purposes of your existence. You exist for the afterlife. You exist to live eternally in the next world. The more you fall for this world, the more you forget about the afterlife. And so there's nothing to fear. There's nothing after this world. All of your energy, all of your time, all of your effort is focused on this world. There's nothing else. Of course you're going to not fear the afterlife. Okay? وَمَا أُوتِيَ عَبْدٌ عِلْمًا And whenever a servant is granted, this is the key, okay? Whenever a servant is granted knowledge, but this increases their love for this world, which tells us that this is not the purpose of gaining knowledge, of acquiring knowledge, that it should not increase your love for this world, but this is what it's doing in this case. Whenever this happens, this will only increase their distance from God. One, and God's wrath towards them. It only increases your distance from God, so you're going the opposite direction of what you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to be going with that knowledge. You're supposed to be going towards God with that knowledge, but you got tricked or seduced and you fell in love with this world, now you're walking in the opposite direction. More knowledge is only leading to more distance away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we can understand it as the meaning of it, the true meaning of it, or we can understand it as one more cause, one more consequence of it, and God's wrath towards them, God's anger towards them. The more this knowledge increases your love for this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is granting you something. We don't think about it this way. Maybe we think, I'm the one who worked hard. I deserved the knowledge that I got. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who brought this knowledge to you and made you understand it in this way. Every piece of information that you have, every insight that you have, this is a form of guidance. This is a form of spiritual insight that has been given, granted, a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What are you going to do with it? No different than any other gift. No different than health. No different than wealth. No different than whatever else. You look at your life and you say, these are all gifts from God. Equals, these are all responsibilities. These are all duties. I have to show gratefulness, gratitude towards all of these. I have to act according to the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects me to act. It's not that God doesn't want me to benefit from the health He gives me, from the wealth He gives me, from the knowledge He gives me. It's that I act appropriately now that I have this. What am I going to do with it? Do I use the health He gives me to sin? Do I use the wealth He gives me to sin? Do I use the knowledge He gives me to sin? 
That's the question. Okay? And so here, this is why we say there's like kind of a double punishment. On one side, the distance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the other one, the anger. There's a way to understand these as being the same. But these are actually, we need to explain the difference between them. We're not going to now. But people who want to be in that state of the religious experience and feel intimate, close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this does something to them when they know that they have angered God. When they are reminded this is going to lead to God's anger towards you. Okay? So maybe one more hadith and we stop. So this next hadith has a number of points that we've been talking about. One of them has to do with sincerity. So it brings a lot of these together and then it's going to add a point. Sincerity, and we've spent a long time talking about sincerity. So here you see the opposition between sincerely, you, you learn knowledge, you gain, you seek knowledge with sincerity with the right intentions, one, and you want to use it for the right things, that's sincerity. Versus, you only do it to use it in this world. You only use it to impress others. You only use it to dominate over others. Okay, that's one. Let's call it the social benefits. Then, we had a whole theme where we talked about how knowledge is supposed to lead to humility. You have to feel humble and modest this, the more knowledge you gain, the more you should feel modest and humble in this world. In yourself, it has to remind you, the more knowledge you have should remind you that you're not that great. And the Holy Quran has beautiful passages, especially in Surah Luqman and elsewhere, about this. When you walk, you're not destroying the earth with your greatness. Luqman tells his son, Nor are you the height of mountains. You're nothing. Okay, so remember, be modest. But that's in yourself. Being modest also means remember what you are before God. You're a creature. You're absolutely created in every single way. In that type of relationship with a creator who has created you, given you everything. You are non-existent and now you exist. That existence is given to you. And so when we say Modesty and humility, yes, in yourself. You can think about it yourself, how you treat others. But really, all of that derives from, and we've talked about this, the person who cannot harm another insect, another ant, for instance. You saw, you remember that hadith. Why? One way is because I'm going to come up with an environmental theory. Another way is because of my fear of God. Because I have a relationship with my creator and the creator of the world. And everything, every relationship that I have after this is going to derive out of that. If I know that I'm just a creature and this ant is just a creature, that's it. You have a whole slew of consequences that derive out of this. So, in any case, remember all of that. Then there's going to be Knowledge and fear of God, which we've been talking about. You remember that Allah is there. Knowledge should lead to that. Versus constantly being more daring and more stubborn 
And what we called, because that's how it's called in some verses of the Quran and in a lot of narrations, you know, being at war with God. You know that this is a sin. And you are now not in a state of unawareness. No, you're fully aware. This is a sin. You still proceed. That's audacity. That's daring. Right? So knowledge is supposed to lead to the opposite. You don't have that daring to perform this. If it's a moment of weakness and you forget, that's different. And so this is where, you know, that fear of God has to be present. The last point was that knowledge has to lead to action, has to lead to hard work and not the opposite. Not that there is nothing to show for that knowledge. We have to be able to see that knowledge and how you conduct yourself. This is action. And we spent a whole series on action. Okay, so keeping all of that in mind, now in a few words from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, عن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله قال من طلب العلم لله لم يصب منه بابا إلا ازداد في نفسه ذلا وفي الله تواضعا ولله خوفا وفي الدين اجتهادا فذلك الذي ينتفع بالعلم فليتعلمه and this is a hadith that we saw, by the way, earlier. But we were focused on another part of it. Okay, so the, Imam Ali salam says, the Holy Prophet said, if someone seeks knowledge for the sake of God, then every chapter that he learns from that knowledge will increase them in humility. So this is the modesty and humility. And modesty for the sake of God, and fear of God, and more effort in religion, that is the one who benefits from knowledge, so let them acquire it. Let them seek that knowledge and acquire it. So these are all the consequences of knowledge in a few words, summarized. And on the other side, وَمَنْ طَلَبَ الْعِلْمِ And as for the one who seeks knowledge, لِلْدُّنْيَا For this world, that's why you're seeking knowledge. وَالْمَنْزِلَةَ عِنْدَ النَّاسِ You're seeking knowledge to have rank, to have better rank, better position among the people. And so you, you have a great treatment from the ruling class, from those in power. He doesn't acquire any chapter of that knowledge. Every time he adds one more chapter of knowledge to what he knows, this is only going to increase their arrogance internally with themselves. They become more and more arrogant. They feel more and more great for the knowledge that they have gained. This is dominance over people. The more knowledge I gain, every new chapter of knowledge, every new field type of knowledge that I gain, the more I feel like now I'm entitled to dominate over people with it. This is what we said. Audacity against God, before God. You have ghurur. You think that you can defeat, you can defeat God. You're daring, more daring, more audacity before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with every knowledge, with every chapter of knowledge. And more erasing of religion, more disappearance of religion, less worship, less existence of or presence of religion in your life 
That person does not benefit from knowledge. So let this person avoid the argument against himself. What's the argument against yourself? The knowledge. That person should avoid the knowledge. That knowledge you're gaining is the argument against you. The Holy Prophet says, Imam Ali salam says, the Prophet said, so let that person stay away from knowledge. That knowledge is going to be an argument against himself, so it's better for him not to learn it. And in the, on the day of resurrection, in the afterlife, this will only lead to regret and shame. Okay, and I think for, for this hadith in general, we've covered it already, but it summarizes a lot of what we've been talking about. So perhaps it's a good point to stop here. Inshallah, we continue with, with this point. Questions, comments? Tafadhal Ali. So, so uh, yes, so the question is when we said power has to be balanced or is always balanced in our religion, in the, in the Islamic teachings, power is always balanced. And so the point you mentioned is correct, but there's another dimension. So there, in short, there's two big dimensions. There's a dimension of this world and there's a dimension of the afterlife. So in the afterlife, that's the point that you just mentioned. Of course, power means, you know, if you act based on it, you're going to have the reward that matches that additional duty, additional responsibility that comes with the power. You acted rightly, you did the right thing with it, appropriate thing with it, you're going to have incredible rewards with it. And if you did not, then there's going to be equal punishment to it. Okay, so that's the afterlife dimension. But there's also social dimension to this. There's a, so, a social, the fact that you're responsible for another human being, that's a power that's been given to you. You're a parent, for instance. You have power over another human being. That's a power. So in our religion, if you dig and you look and you study, you're going to see that that power comes with a responsibility equal to it. And then if you want to translate that, translate that into thawab and iqab, it means that there's going to be reward and punishment equal to it in the afterlife. But in this world, even forgetting the afterlife, in this world, in our Islamic teachings, you're going to see as a social system, if there is power given, there's a responsibility, an equal responsibility that is given with that power. Every time there's a power, there's a... And that's why we say it's balanced. The problems arise when things are not balanced. If you had power and there's no responsibility that comes with it, well, why were you given that power? What are you going to do with that power? That's going to be abuse. Inshallah, if you ever get interested in ethics and uh, uh, the philosophy of morals and so on and so forth, when do we need to have uh, ethics or, or a philosophy of values and morals? When does it enter? Everybody talks about it, that it's, it's almost like it's a given. You always have to have ethics, an ethical dimension. To, you don't always need an ethical dimension. You need an ethical dimension when there is a power difference. 
When there's a power difference, you need something to ensure that there's not going to be abuse. And that's when you talk about a moral philosophy. You need morals now. Otherwise, how are you going to explain or allow for different people to have different powers? If you have a boss and an employee, now it's going to be a power differential. The boss has much more power than the employee. You need an ethical dimension. So they're going to add a code of conduct. They're going to say this is the deontology of it. This is how you ought to act at work. There's a power differential. If they were all the same, you don't necessarily need it. There has to be some difference. The difference is translated into, socially, it's power. You have influence over someone, someone has influence over you. Now, that is power. Here we're saying, knowledge is power. That power has to come with an equal responsibility, a duty. Power allows you to act. The responsibility means you're acting in the right way. You're using it without abuse. Inshallah, it's clear. Fadlullah. Yeah, so it's an excellent point. The question is, we have also seen with regards to the last hadith that we just looked at, we've also seen a hadith that say, even if you don't see the benefits of knowledge right away, keep going and they will come. In this hadith, it's not just that I'm gaining knowledge and there is no direct benefit that comes out of it. It's that there's harm, that I'm intentionally using that knowledge to cause harm. I'm using that knowledge as an more. That's very different than saying I gain knowledge but I'm doing nothing with it. That in itself is an issue, but at least it's not a source of harm. It's not a source of something negative. In this hadith, the imam is saying that the more you gain, because your intention, and that's, that was a huge key, but I didn't want to go back to the same points we've covered. It's the same knowledge. The same knowledge is gained. The only difference is in this case, this was the intention. I want to seek this knowledge to use it in this world, to use it to dominate other people as an instrument for social rank, political rank, domination over people. That's why I'm seeking the knowledge. Or someone who says, I want to seek knowledge because this is what God wants me to do and I want to become a better person and I want to help myself and help my community and help humanity. Very different. The same knowledge. And that's why the hadith says, every chapter, it's the same chapter. You're learning the same chapter. But the result is, in this case, because of the different intent, in this case, the knowledge is going to be used to cause harm. That you are becoming greater and greater in your own mind, right? Delusions of grandeur. Arrogance, you become more arrogant, you become more daring towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas in the other case, you're becoming less audacious. You fear God more, you remember God more. 
You remember the afterlife more. Religion is more present. Action is more present as a result of the action, uh, as, as a result of the knowledge. What you were referring to is there's no harm. I'm gaining knowledge. I'm not seeing the benefits right away. I'm not using it to cause any harm. I'm not being more arrogant. I'm not dominating over people. I'm not using knowledge as something, as an instrument for social, wealth, political, whatever type of gain. That's not really the purpose for which I, I gain that knowledge. And again, it's the intent. It's not how it ends up being translated. It's the intent. Is that the intent? So, so long as the intent is good, that's it. And we had talked about that in sincerity. If the intent is good, even if the benefit is not there, you are being rewarded for the, for the intent, for the sincerity of your intention. The action, inshallah, will follow eventually. Something will click. Something will happen. Don't stop. Right? There's the constant struggle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, continue in that struggle. So long as you know it's in the right path. In this case, that's not. it doesn't apply here because this person is clearly walking in the opposite direction. Clearly using knowledge and the opposite of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. My intent is to use it to dominate people, to be arrogant, for worldly gain, and so on and so forth. So inshallah, that's clear. Tafadhalu. Uh, <clears throat> when you say it has a special dimension, um, spirituality as being upper layer of knowledge, does it have in its own special dimension? In a nutshell, does spirituality uh, elaborate more? I want to say yes, but I don't know if I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. So does does spirituality also have a social dimension? Can you tell me what you're thinking specifically? Well, I'm just trying to apply the same rules. Uh, all and balance. Something that is more spiritual than religion. Yeah, I would say I don't know. I want to say yes, um, but I don't think it's an easy yes. Because at this, at the very fundamental spiritual level, I mean, like for this world, we can add a social dimension to every Islamic teaching. Okay? But at a, like, you know, if we forget this world and the next and all of that, and you think just specifically like the thing in itself, spirituality in itself, um, is an extremely selfish thing. It's an extremely individualized thing. And I think we have plenty of, you know, a hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam and elsewhere where he emphasizes this, right? It's about the relationship between me and God. So that, that's what I mean. So if you understand it from that angle that no, there's no, so the, the social dimension happens automatically, but you don't need to think about it as a result, but it's a secondary result. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, I only care about myself. I couldn't care less about anyone else. I'm focused about myself. I don't have time. I don't have energy for anyone else in his letter to his son. Right? He says, I don't have time to give you advice. I'm preoccupied with myself. My only concern is myself. Who has time for anyone else? There's too much work to be done. But I found you to be a part of me. No, I found you to be all of me. So that whatever harms you, harms me. Now, I have to give you advice. So, 
That, that's why I say like, I want to say yes and I want to say no. Because at a very like philosophical or fundamental level, at the spiritual, very spiritual, like you reduce it to just pure spirituality, it's, it's your soul and its relationship with God. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about anything else around that. Everything else is secondary. But this is where you say, but if this is properly done, then at the secondary level, things are going to start falling in place. Right? It means that now I understand there's a relationship that I have with my family members. There's a relationship I have with my community. There's a relationship. So of course the spiritual is going to translate somehow into that too. But that's why I say, like, if you were to elaborate more on your question, <laughs> then I would know, are you talking, like, at a very absolute, my my personal, and I can't say this is the truth, I can say my reading, my understanding, of course, is, like, spirituality at a very absolute level is is a very selfish reality. It's a very individualized reality. It's your soul and God, and that's it. But the, uh, if you translate that, when you put that in the social context, then there's things that have to derive out of that. When you put that in a, you know, a, in a family context or in a community or in a, even in history context, there has to be clear outcomes that come out of that. But I don't know if I'm answering your question. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's a very different angle than what I'm talking about. So, yeah. But, yeah, so, so the more spirituality you have, yes, and, and there are indications of that in the Holy Quran, and there are indications of that in the, in the Hadith, that you are going to have a, um, a social reach, uh, a social reach or a social influence or impact, or you're going to touch people in a different way because of your spirituality because of how sincere you are in your belief and in your action. And we can understand that psychologically, okay? If someone really believes, and then that opens the whole debate on what if they believe something but it's wrong. But the truth is, they will still influence people if you believe it enough and, and deeply enough, okay? But if it's true, then we believe that there, the, the, the reach is a different level. The ability to influence and to reach and to speak to the heart, not the, you're not speaking with words, Right? That's a spiritual dimension. And we believe, of course, that is the case. But that's the part that you can't really uh, you know, systematize. You can't theorize this too much because you're in the uh, supernatural or in the hidden. It, you are in the spiritual realm. So how do you measure that? How do you uh, apply that? The best you can do is try to be sincere yourself and act and believe that this principle is an action that what you're doing is actually influencing in that way. But beyond that, it becomes, I think, a very very uh, theoretical, very, very abstract theoretical exercise to, to try to 
translate that into something very practical for us to use. But I think we can see it. And this opens the door to that whole discussion of, you know, like wilaya and things like that. That that's what derives out of it, that you you have a, a spiritual power that starts to manifest and how people react to you, how the world reacts to you, right? This is where I think where you're going, and and that's the the yeah. I mean, we we believe in that, but we would theorize it, but I'm not sure we can. Uh, practically translate it. It becomes a maybe it's good or the benefit of it is to understand more than to apply, you know, but it could be too. I don't know. But definitely, I think there's a lot of indications for that. Yani, uh, it's all at the level of belief and spirituality and connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which in short we say like pur- purification of the soul, right? And the more you purify, We've talked a little bit about this in the past too. The more you purify, the more you're aligned with existence. And once you're aligned with existence, that's it. And this is what we believe, like the existence is submitted to a soul that is perfectly aligned. That's it. Existence is there at the service of that soul. We're not aligned. So we're we're fighting. You know, we're we're all over the place. The more you align, the more that's it. You're you're part of you know the flow of existence. You're you're all in the same current in the same direction towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Anyways, that that's a whole topic. <laughs> so 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 if that's what you mean by social and your ability to impact and your ability to touch people spiritually through your spirituality, yeah, we believe that it is for sure the case. You're focused more on the responsibility, right? You're saying that there's a responsibility towards that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a I haven't thought about it. And I, I can't think of something very direct. We we know that it is the case, but to um give a theoretical explanation of the responsibility of that spirituality on its reach, I don't know. That that would require uh, some thinking. Unless you have something already in mind. No.